When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, folks. Welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I am Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host in Tennessee, A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I talk everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast, and if that sounds like something you want to listen to on the reg, make sure you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed and subscribe, because if you subscribe, you're not going to miss an episode. And I know that you don't want to do that, do you? Hopefully not. No, that's not weird. Sorry. Just subscribe. That's it. That's Just subscribe. I don't know. At Charlie underscore Burris. At Zach TNT. At A to Z Sports on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville, and A to Z Sports Dot com for everything that myself and uh, Zach write about them balls. Tennessee took a hammer and smashed South Alabama with it. A pretty easy game, or at least it looked easy. Hinden Hooker threw all over the place. Cedric Tillman um, awesomely. And also potentially, sadly, looks like an NFL prospect. <laughs> he is great. And uh, it was it was a snoozer, but it was fun to just have Tennessee run all over South Alabama. Zach, what's up, man? That's pretty much the most boring blowout I think I've ever seen. I mean, and that's a good thing, right? That's kind of how Alabama games are whenever they play teams like that. It's over before it really ever gets started. And by the second half, you're just ready for the game to be over uh backups are in it was a nice low stress game and tennessee's bowl eligible for once a first year coach doesn't have to beat vanderbilt to try to become bowl eligible i mean uh we saw butch lose to vanderbilt in 2013 which was one of the coldest games i've ever been to i remember the wind blowing very strongly that night i was there too uh I, I covered it, so I was in the press box most of the game, but I do, you know, after the game or at the end of the game, it was very frigid. And then I believe Pruitt lost to Vanderbilt in 2018. Is that correct? To Maybe. Not be bowl eligible? Um, I, can't, I can't remember for sure. It's been so so much has happened since since that season where... Well, I can, I can say of that 2013 game, Yes, they, they did lose to Vanderbilt in 2018. 38-13. We should have known. I mean, that was to Derek Mason, too. That wasn't even to to James Franklin, who was at least a respectable coach that, that had Vanderbilt you know, in a non-win program. Should have known. Uh, but hindsight 2020, that 2013 game. Yes. I was there in the student section freezing. And obviously we were hyped because it would have been a bowl game and it would have been nice after Dooley had all those, the multiple losing seasons. 
and they win on the freaking jump pass by what's mm-hmm. his face the he was a local dude he he went to didn't he go to like Maryville or something and then played at Vandy their quarterback jump pass and I was in the student section uh only a few rows up we were really close and James Franklin comes over and does a stupid Vandy V thing right in our <laughs> face like purposefully to us and here here's the thing Say what you want about that old Miss game with Tennessee fans throwing stuff on the field. Uh, a, a bit of a moment of weakness from from Vol fans there. But uh, the strength of Vol fans to not throw stuff at James Franklin in that scenario has to be admired. Because he came over and stuck his stupid face right in front of the student section and did that. Taunt, literally taunted us. Would have been would have been called a penalty in the NFL nowadays. Uh and nobody threw anything at him. So, you know, hey, all respect to the Tennessee student section, at least when I went there. That's that's back when we were back in my day. We respected yeah. people, did throw things on the field. <laughs> and he I mean, he was definitely one of the most obnoxious coaches ever. Oh, he was the worst, dude. Uh, Screw it, that it, guy. Honestly, you know, if you look at the flip side of it, can you blame him after Derek Dooley, the way he celebrated in 2011? Yeah. You know, the one thing Tennessee always does. Uh, and then Franklin to come back and beat Tennessee in back-to-back years. I'm, I'm, I mean, you can't really blame the guy. You know, Tennessee shouldn't let that happen. I mean, to be honest, you, you don't lose to Vanderbilt. I don't care who's coaching them. Exactly. Yeah, but Bobby Johnson never came over and did that because you beat Bobby Johnson. I guess he he was – Bobby Johnson did beat us with Cutler, though, in what? Oh, f- oh, five. oh five. That was the only time yeah. Fomer ever lost to Vanderbilt, I believe. Yeah. That one was painful. I So my – I just – talk about him a lot on this podcast one of my best friends the vandy fan and he has the tennessee the front page of the tennessean framed in his house uh from the day after the 05 vandy win uh that's how much it means to vandy so congrats to them on that 05 win um but tennessee obviously vandy is this next week after the south alabama uh beatdown and it should be another beatdown we'll predict at the at the end of the show we'll predict the score of that game but um Overall, hey, you took care of business. That's nice. Glad to just have a relaxing time. And you you look now, and the conversation really turns to reflecting on, I, obviously this is assuming that Heupel wins this Vandy game, reflecting on this as Heupel's first season. That's really where, where we're at at this point, assuming that this Vandy game ends up just being another sort of blowout. Uh, and... And I say that specifically, saw Wes Rucker tweet this earlier today. Let me get pulled up here. Uh, He said, if Tennessee beats Vandy, Alabama beats Auburn, which is likely, Clemson beats South Carolina, which is definitely likely, uh, Josh Heupel will have more wins than any first-year Power 5 head coach for 2021. Um, Really impressive. And... I am in awe of the fact that we get to say that. That's crazy. Also, is it an indictment of the first, the set of first-year head coaches that came in this year? Don't know. Well, I, I think you. I, I don't think it's fair to compare any first-year head coach to another first-year head coach totally because there's such different situations. So I don't, you know, even if it's a bunch of terrible first-year head coaches, and who knows, the jury's still out on that. I still think it's extremely impressive just because personally. This is the 
third head coach that I've been, you know, writing about Tennessee whenever they were hired. So obviously I've kind of made predictions for each of those head coaches and foolishly, well, and I wasn't that far off. I don't guess I had, I had Butch Jones going six and six and I had uh, Jeremy Pruitt going six and six, I believe. And they both fell short of that. Heupel, as you can sense a theme, also went six and six on Heupel and he's the first one to exceed those expectations. So to me, that that has to count for something because really, he could have went five and seven this year just based on what he inherited, and nobody would have been shocked. It would have been kind of typical of what you see of first-year head coaches. And he goes out, he he's probably going to win seven games as long as they take care of business against Vanderbilt, which I think they will because – like that South Alabama game, not that I, not that Tennessee was ever going to be in danger of losing it, but it was the perfect setup for just a letdown. We kind of talked about this on the post game show Saturday night, how we've seen so many of those games turn into like a, a 30 to 23 final score where Tennessee just kind of grinds out a win. 75,000 people in Neyland. It was obviously less full than it has been for the Ole Miss and the Georgia game. And Tennessee played with great energy, uh, Obviously, they ran the score up on South Alabama. So if he had them prepared for that game, I definitely think he'll have them prepared for this Vanderbilt game, and I think they'll take care of business. Yeah, I, I have to imagine Van, Vanderbilt is just really bad. Uh, but on the whole, he I, – I don't remember. I'd have to go back and listen to this show. Did I predict 7-5 and five or 6-6? Six and six? You had – no, you had 7-5 and because you had them beating Pittsburgh. I saw right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Which now looking, uh, you know that that very easily could have been a win. That's really the only way that I see that he could have bolstered this even more, where you would have had eight wins in his first. Well, season. I mean, really, honestly, if, if if Hooker starts against Pittsburgh and that pass is caught at the end of the Ole Miss game, you're looking at a potential ten win season here i mean it's kind of it's kind of like we talked about jeremy pruitt in 2019 except jeremy pruitt's ifs were losing to byu and georgia state (laughs) you know uh josh hypo lost to two of the best quarterbacks in in all of college football and kenny pickett and matt corral literally the best the best two currently at least the ones getting the most sort of heisman talk outside of like bryce young and that old miss game, you could play it ten times. It could go ten different ways. Uh, who knows what would happen if they played again? But I do think if Tennessee played Pittsburgh again, that they would win that game. I I absolutely think you you beat Pittsburgh, especially with Hooker in the condition that he's in now. I, I think you could have moved the ball all over them. Their God. secondary could. And not if you played it. Florida in November, oh, man, Blech. that's gross. But hey, you get Florida at home next year, and we're gonna talk. About every the coaching carousel is insane right now. We're we're going to talk about that, but just re- reflecting on the fact that he he will have likely the the most wins of any Power Five head coach. I, I mean it it hurts my longtime personal narrative, which has been that Tennessee's administration is full of bumbling idiots who can't do anything right and haven't been able to do anything right for twenty years, uh, and that has held true for nineteen years. Or even longer. <laughs> and then this year, hired Danny White, really made, made in, in my opinion, a nice move there. And now you hired the guy that's probably going to end up with the most wins out of any Power 5 first-year head coaches. 
consider me impressed. I I would I would say that much. Thank you, because all all I've ever done the whole time when I put out some of these my my negative takes on on Tennessee about how much our administration has sucked it up for all this time. Um, all I've wanted is for them to fix it. That's I say it because I want it. First of all, I went to Tennessee. I'm a donor to the University of Tennessee. I have to put it on my resume, you know, back when I'm looking for jobs, you know, like I, this, this place means a decent amount to me. Okay. And the fact that they keep screwing up and, you know, sometimes you just want to put a paper bag over your head rather than cheer for Tennessee, you know, like it's, it sucks. And I wanted it fixed. And they actually, I have to sit here and go like, you, you might've done it. Look at you. Look at us. Look at God. Look at what he's, you know, things, things have, have changed a little bit. I've already said it. It just, it feels different. Even, even if it is, you know, same record as Kiffin and all that stuff, but just after everything that you've gone through since Kiffin, like the, it, you just have to be grateful. I, I guess that's, that's my, my ultimate take when it gets all the way down to it. Like, I'm just, I'm grateful just to see this as a Tennessee fan. Like, thank you. Thank goodness. You finally did something right. Even if it falls apart with hypo, at least we had this joy, you know? Yeah, I mean, for real, you Heupel took over the worst situation of any Tennessee head coach except maybe Kiffin. Uh, Dooley, you know, that was a disaster when he took over that late in the recruiting cycle and all the legal issues that some of Kiffin's recruits had. Butch, uh, you know, his situation wasn't that terrible. He inherited an incredible offensive line. Sure, they lost Tyler Bray and Hunter and Patterson, but they had they had some good skill players. But that offensive line was really good. They had some defensive pieces there. Pruitt, uh, Butch recruited well. There was some talent on the roster for Pruitt. And and what Heupel got was nowhere close to what any of those guys got. So to do this, just to kind of grind it out the way he's done it and change the culture. I mean, you listen to the kids talk. One, it just seems organic. Uh, I, I don't want to take any shots at any former players, but the players under Butch – when they talked, it almost felt like they were like under his spell in some sort of way. Like it was almost cult like the the whole atmosphere around Butch and the way that players talked about him at the time. It was just a weird vibe. It's hard to explain. Seems much more organic and natural now. I'm really just impressed with the way he's changed the culture and and guy and you know credit goes to the players too for buying in. Guys like Matthew Butler. Some of these guys that have really bought in Alante Taylor and have been team leaders, but just the fact that he was kind of able to instill this culture to where they they want to get better. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of reminiscent of Nick Saban and how he runs his program without doing it like Saban. They're focusing on the process, which is what Saban likes to talk about. Uh, they're focusing on getting better every day and all these little cliche things that you know, you can say it however you want. You can say it like Saban with, with kind of the, the attitude. Or you can do like take Heupel's approach. Whatever approach you take, you have to prove that you can do it and he's actually doing it instead of just, you know, like Pruitt thinking it's going to happen, I guess, on just because he's a Saban disciple. And, and just to have, have it actually be done rather than sitting here going, well... If he yeah. gets a quarterback, that's mm-hmm. what we said the whole time with Pruitt. Quarterback yep. away, your quarterback away, quarterback away. Well, he found it. He, Eibel came in, found it, dude. It didn't take, you know, it turns out that when you're a good coach, you just find the guy. And that's, you know, who, how many coaches has that happened to? You look like that's, that's the, 
defining element of uh, Harbaugh's entire time at Michigan is the fact that he can't find a quarterback. Well, look at Clemson this year without a quarterback. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's so massive. And to just have him come in and not like he tried his his own guy and that didn't work. And then he turned to the guy that was already, I guess, technically Hooker was a yeah, Hooker was a Pruitt guy. Well, he he, right. He transferred after the 2020 season before Pruitt was fired. And decided to stay on. Yes. Basically. Yes. Yeah, okay. And he was never really under Pruitt he for long. He wasn't a Pruitt guy, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you you took the resources that were there, and this is what you turned it into. And to not have to watch a season and go, okay, I see the pieces there. Then we, you know, maybe if this happens and this ha- No, I watch what happens, and I go, if you just get better players this is one of the best teams in the sec it's not i don't have to do all of this rationalizing and talking around uh, big red flags or anything like that i mean we said the biggest red flag that we had is that it seems like he it's not that he's not creative but it's a the offensive system is pretty one note it just it he knows what he wants it to be and they run it that way there's not a lot of folds that they put in it. And in some way, that's what makes it awesome. And in other ways, it, it kind of is a detractor at the same time. But um, if, if you're if you're one of those people that's talking about the offense not being creative, and I, and I do see those comments from time to time. I saw them from UCF fans. Do you care what route tree the outside receiver on, on, the, on the other side of the play ran or didn't run if they're throwing the ball – 45 yards down the field for a touchdown or the guy's streaking down the field wide open. Do you care how it's happening? Really? Exactly. Unless you're just a real deep X's and O's guy that just kind of, you know, has a background in that kind of stuff that most fans don't care. If it wasn't a topic, I don't think anybody would really, you know, be discussing it. And I'll say one thing I've, I've, I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed where the receivers on like that aren't involved on the side of the play where it's going, how sometimes they don't run their routes. From what I understand, that's by design at times because they're not going to be involved in the play and they're not really a decoy or blocking. So it's kind of a conserve your energy type move because the offense runs so fast. Like that is hmm. just another way that Hypel's kind of thought about everything, which is he's a really smart guy. And the proof is in the pudding. What is, I believe uh, the stat is 53 points away from having the most points scored ever in a Tennessee football season. So yeah, I mean they're they're number eleven go. in the nation in scoring offense. They were like a hundred and nine, I think, last year. And again, I've seen there's those few Pruitt defenders out there on social media, and they like to talk about how well Tennessee played ten SEC teams last year. Well, so did everybody else in the SEC. Everybody in the country played a conference only schedule. So that ranking, it's relative to that. It that's still accurate they were the 109th best scoring offense in the country playing the same type of schedule as everyone else yeah it's always everything is relative for everybody it's kind of like we we had this conversation this weekend tennessee basketball split games with villanova and unc looked amazing against unc and just got drubbed by villanova and the talking points after villanova were sort of like they're a really good team but it's really early in the season it's early in the season well it's early it's early in the season for tennessee it's early in the season for villanova like why is villanova so much better at earlier in the season and and tennessee's not was kind of my point and then they of course they came back the next day and tennessee it appears just kind of had an off day again it's for a little bit later in the show we're gonna have a full breakdown of that 
But like, exact. I hate that when people are like, oh, you had to play ten SEC get yeah, So, so did everybody else, and he still sucked. What's what do you? And what? the the, the twenty nineteen <laughs> offense was just as bad. They won eight games, but they averaged like twenty one, twenty two points a game. Yeah. It's not like they were winning by scoring. Yeah, and I mean it, those games when you won were painful. Oh, where you awful. just went, was that? Are we going to call that a win? Because it didn't feel like one. <laughs> that, uh, the Mississippi the Mississippi State game was the best example of that. Whoa. Just the most painful game to watch that Tennessee won. I mean, they've won so very few SEC West games uh, against SEC West opponents in recent years that that game you feel like should be celebrated, even though it's a Mississippi State. It was just such a pain to get through. Yeah, I I was at that Mississippi State game. I I caught uh, a pretty gnarly cold. I remember uh, after that it was pre pre COVID. Uh, obviously, caught a pretty gnarly cold on on behalf of Jeremy Pruitt. You're welcome, Pruitt. I <laughs> for showing up. Uh, but it, it is ev- everything about this season has just been refreshing. I, I think that's that's my overriding feeling to just not have the regular feelings that we usually have with a first year guy at, at Tennessee. Um, like what a what a time to be alive. I didn't I didn't know that I would see this day anytime soon or <laughs> or ever. Um, and, and, you know. You know, a lot of people are worried right now about. You mentioned Cedric Tillman if he leaves, Hendon Hooker possibly, which I don't think Hendon Hooker will leave. But you never know. He's been kind of noncommittal about if he's going to take part in Senior Day activities this week and all that. So who knows? He might. It depends on what they say. I'm sure he'll take a look at it, and I understand him doing that. But if, if you're a Tennessee fan, Josh Heupel turned this offense around just like overnight. He has a history of being able to find quarterbacks from anywhere, and there's going to be a lot of guys in the transfer portal. There's already a few that Anthony Richardson Richardson from Florida might be. Who knows with that situation? Miles Brennan from LSU has already hit the portal. They could lose one of their other ones. There's, there's, there will be decent quarterbacks in the portal. And look, Hendon Hooker wasn't a big catch. Nobody, he was an afterthought. Nobody, I really didn't even know who he was. And uh, and he's from close to my hometown. I still had no idea who he was. Um, the there will be somebody there. He'll find a quarterback, and I think that's the best thing about this whole situation with Heupel is that no matter what happens, he loses an offensive coordinator, which will eventually happen. He loses a quarterback's coach. He loses a star quarterback. He's going to find another guy, and because it it all starts with him, and he's the head coach. So that's kind of like a little security blanket there that Tennessee fans should have. Yeah, I mean, I really have no reservations about next season because it is going to be, I don't want to say a totally different team, but if Heupel does what he probably needs to do and raid the the transfer portal and things like that, I think you're going to have a lot of new faces, hopefully more than what, at this point, 69 scholarship players uh, last time I checked. Like, get more people in the door. And the team, yeah, it's going to look different. Ideally, you can get those guys back. That would be Great, but even yeah, even if you don't, Heupel system is made to be kind to a quarterback. He'll find a guy, even if you have to go down to like Taven Jackson and uh, you know give it give it to a first year kid. You know what Heupel has done in the past? He's given his offense to a first year kid, and it's worked. So he he did that at USC with was it Gabriel Dylan Gabriel? I believe was a freshman. Yeah, yeah, and um, he put up great numbers. It worked fine. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I just I have no 
there's no prejudgments. I feel like with guys in the past, I've been able to go like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen. You know, you, you kind of with like Pruitt's third year, you went still, we're still going to roll out Garantano. That's the plan. And and you sort of went, okay, I, I know how this is probably going to go unless this kid just has a miracle offseason. You know, you just had some preconceived things that you could say about what was probably going to happen. And and with Hypo, like, I just don't, I, I think that it'll get better, but I don't have anything other than that to say about what might happen next year. I, I don't look and go like, oh, it's all going to fall apart if Hinden Hooker got... I don't think that's the case. And so, well, obviously everything is just a, a matter of time. You just have to see how it plays out. But as of right now, I just, I can only go with the evidence that I have in front of me and the evidence so far. I mean, is it is it totally blowing me out of the water? No, but relative to what Tennessee has had in the past, it's pretty incredible, frankly. Yeah, when you, like you said earlier, when you had to get used to rationalizing at the end of every first year, like, oh, maybe this will be okay. Maybe this will, will turn around. Maybe he can be the guy. You're not really having to talk yourself into this one. So I'm not quite ready to give him uh, an extension quite yet. <laughs> like Tennessee has every other coach after they've had a winning season. Uh, but But I do feel pretty good about the future. Well, on that note, on uh, <laughs> giving Heupel an extension, Let's talk about the coaching carousel at Tennessee because things are heating up. Uh, we we said on the on the pregame show or the postgame show, sorry, uh, after South Alabama, you and I had a conversation about what is our confidence level that Dan Mullen will have his job by the time we record this show. Now, you said four, so you were you were leaning to the side that he would be fired. I said six, so I was a little more leaning to the side that he would keep his job at least for another week. I thought he might get fired after the Florida State game. Lo and behold, Scott Strickland, and apparently, according to reports, Steve Spurrier, uh, who had a big say in it, said, no, no, Dan, you're gone. We're, you know, you just can't, you can't suck as bad as he has and and stay the coach of Florida. And so he's out. Um, you were right, Zach, and in, in, uh, nice prediction there. Mullen done. So now you have LSU, Florida, uh, Washington is open currently. USC is open currently. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. That's right. They fired Fuente. So Miami pretty, could be. Yeah, that there's been talks that Miami is kind of behind the scenes looking at coaches to see if they want to get rid of Manny Diaz. And then on top of that, you got to look at the fallout from when some of these. I'm sure some sitting head coaches mm -hmm. are going to be moving around. So yeah, it could. I mean, it's going to be crazy. It has the potential to be really, really insane. Let's see if I get just from this is purely from the rumors. Let's see if we can name off every program that could potentially come open this. So it's obviously LSU, uh, Florida, USC, uh, Washington are Virginia actually Tech. open. Virginia Tech are actually open, but then potentially Miami, Texas. They've been yeah. talking. They're yeah. really unhappy with Sarkeesian. Potentially Miami. Uh, if if Kiffin you, leaves Ole Miss, you threw Ole out. Miss. I think it was you that tweeted today about the Auburn rumor about Harson possibly going to Washington. <laughs> Brian Harson has apparently either interviewed for the Washington job or is very interested in it, according to reports. Um, so you have, I mean, yeah, if <laughs> if Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, Florida all come open, 
You also have Virginia Tech, which is in the in the area, you know, down. I don't know that I would call it southeast, but in the region, like all of those jobs, all major college football jobs, and Texas, Texas, don't. Good Lord, if that came open, what a crazy, crazy carousel that would be. And then some people have talked about potentially if uh, uh, you could have uh, who's uh, Lincoln Riley going to LSU and if Oklahoma would come open. Or if he goes I to mean, the NFL, I mean, he might. Yeah, and, and you never know when that kind of stuff is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so this could, I mean, you're talking like a historical yeah. coaching and, and- carousel right now. Who knows if James Franklin is still looking to get out at Penn oh, State? Yeah. I mean, his star is kind of his star is kind of dimmed a little bit over the last few weeks, but it it seems like he's kind of wanted to get out at times. Uh, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if the Carolina Panthers head coach Matt Rule wants to get back into college football. Just just things aren't going so well for him in the NFL. And Bill O'Brien is probably going to go somewhere from Alabama's offensive coordinator. There, it's set up to be pretty wild it's gonna be crazy and how the the thing to me is like you you rank these jobs like the best the best job you know top five or whatever if you've got the ones open right now of lsu florida usc virginia tech and is that it that's really open right now those four major jobs you know, Virginia Tech's number four on the list, obviously. But how do you rank the other three? USC, LSU, Florida. Probably LSU, Florida, USC. If USC simply was in a different conference, like if they went to even, well, I don't know, the Big 12's falling apart. But if they were just in a conference that didn't suck as bad as the Pac-12 does, I think that's a way bigger job. See, I feel like I would put it at number two, kind of because it's in the Pac-12, because it's still enough yeah. if you go undefeated. Easier to go undefeated. If you go undefeated, you're going to get into the playoff. I mean, Cincinnati's probably going to back in once Michigan or Ohio State loses. Plus, you know, it's a prestigious job. Uh, it has a lot of tradition. It wasn't that long ago, less than 20 years ago, that USC, you know, went undefeated. Oklahoma went undefeated. And Auburn went undefeated. And Auburn was the team left out of the BCS game. I mean, that... That was just 2004. So I look at the I look at the Florida job. The LSU job to me is the best because you're pretty much guaranteed to win a championship there. Les Miles did it and couldn't even get a job after he got hired. Or got, went to Kansas. That was the best job he could get. He was pretty much begging for the Tennessee job. Ed Ogeron is not going to be a head coach again at the Power Five level. No. Uh, so you know, a halfway decent coach can go there and win a championship. LSU is going to pay. Recruiting is very easy at LSU. You just kind of have to show up and you land a lot of great in-state talent. To me, Florida, I think they could have a real problem hiring somebody. That job, it's still a, a marquee job, but I don't think it's quite as attractive. Georgia's rolling right now. You're going up against Georgia for recruits, Florida State, Miami. UCF is kind of in there now. LSU kind of pulls from Florida at times. Uh, if Alabama wants to dip down in there, they're going to get who they want. Plus, Dan Mullen won the SEC East last year, and he's fired now. If you don't win the SEC East or beat Georgia like every two years, you're going to get fired at Florida, and your head coaching career is going to completely start over. So you either go there for the buyout money, 
which I don't really think is a motivator for these coaches because they have such big egos. I think they want to win. That's why you go to the SEC. Otherwise, you can just stay where you're at to let your million-dollar checks because a lot of programs are paying. Uh, I, I, just, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're a big-name coach why you go there. So after – I completely agree. After that explanation and, and thinking about it, absolutely. You're exactly right. The, that Florida job is weird. You have a ton of recruiting competition just in your state alone. Miami, Florida State, right across the line is Georgia. And you have to compete with all of that right there. In that, I mean, Georgia comes for all of the players mm-hmm. in Florida, as they should. I mean, it, and that's it's a huge hotbed for recruits. But you also have a ton of competition for those recruits. Mullen hated recruiting, apparently. That's, the, that's sort of you know, the news that has trickled out of there is that that was a huge point of contention. And, uh, and so you got to at least get a guy in there. That's just like gung ho on fire about recruiting and, and somehow is able to take the state back. I, I don't even know if you can at this point with the way that George is rolling, but, uh, you know, that makes it weird. You're exactly right on winning the East. I mean, that's the expectation at this point. Urban really set the standard so high that now it's probably unrealistic. Um, and that I think they're still sort of living off that glow of being like, well, we won a national championship. What third, however long, what 13 14, years ago, 12 yeah, years ago. Yeah. Um, y- you know, they're still living in the afterglow of that a little bit. And the fact, and, and McIlwain just dump coaches for Florida reached the SEC championship game has sort of kept those expectations unrealistic. I honestly, let's be honest. Butch Jones kept the expectations at Florida unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Jones yeah, Tennessee the East twice. Tennessee has helped out. Yeah. Uh, Florida for sure. I mean, you, you should have won the SEC East twice in 2015 and 2016 and you let Georgia and Florida win it. And you, you know, cause Butch is a giant dummy. And so, like they you, they sort of have a weird perception of what that job is supposed to be because realistically that job is really ex- almost exactly on par with Tennessee. Mm-hmm. The the only thing that that I would say they have an advantage in is that they are in the state with the great recruits. Yeah. Their their state is way more chock full of great recruits compared to Tennessee, but other than that, I mean, what Tennessee like facilities wise, fans wise is better. Yeah. Uh they just don't have all those players in state. I think Florida fans really uh, – I think they should probably start worrying because the the only guy, as a Tennessee person, the only guy that's going to scare me is Lane Kiffin because I think Lane Kiffin would have Florida rolling for a couple of years before it all fell apart because that's it's such a microscope on you there. Kiffin's going to do some stupid stuff, and it's, it's going to get him in trouble, uh, just like Dan Mullen has gotten in trouble kind of with the – well, not really in trouble, but just the things he said to the media. He lost the media. And once you lose the media, once they turn on you, it, it's done. It happened to Butch Jones. We've seen it happen to countless number of coaches. But the LSU job, uh, there was a report from Outkick, uh, from a former LSU, Outkick.com, Clay Travis's site, a former LSU writer, beat writer that covers college football for, for Clay. And he has the top three, the final three candidates in his report that it's Matt Campbell, Dave Aranda and Billy Napier for the LSU job. I mean, they started out this search looking at like Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley. I mean, some Lane Kiffin, some big names. 
And you're talking Campbell, who I'm completely out on that guy after seeing. Did you see his comments this week? No, but I heard that it was he said problematic. <laughs> a a reporter asked him, you know, y'all's goals from the start of the season was to win the Big Twelve, and he cut the reporter off and said, "No, that was never my goal. I never said that. My only goal was for us to play to the best of our ability." Ooh. And my specific goal for this team this year was to be. He awkwardly said something like, "The greatest team." Ever like the greatest together team ever at Iowa State is is his exact word. It's very Butch Jones like. It was very, it was very cringeworthy. But I don't see him surviving in the SEC. I think he should stay in the Big Twelve or maybe Big Ten country if he gets another job. Dave Aranda, I think, would be a good option for them because he's been at LSU. But he's he's had one decent year at Baylor. He's turned it around. That's a gamble. And Billy Napier has never been at a Power 5 school as a head coach. He's done well at Louisiana, but he was also fired as Clemson's offensive coordinator at one point. I mean, he's not a perfect candidate either. So those are all big gambles for LSU, what what we're considering the best job available. So, you know, what, what does Florida's listener look like? I I want to think that it'll, because I'm a fatalist about Tennessee sports, that it's going to be... You know, Lane Kiffin, Bob Stoops. I have my prediction. And, and like, so, but realistically, it's not. You, I mean, you look at the history of Florida and the hires that they've made. The best since Urban was Dan Mullen. That was the most high profile mm-hmm. hire that they made. Muschamp was essentially, I mean, he's a def- defensive coordinator, right? McElwain, yeah, from- out of nowhere. Like, and even before Urban Zook, like who? What? Zook actually did better against SEC teams than uh, Mullen, apparently. That's true, which is embarrassing. Yeah, uh, those those are the golden years for Tennessee against Florida. Good lord! But um, y- I you know, think. I, I, well, I, I'll I'll just say this: Florida is one bad hire away from being Tennessee right now, and and oh, I yeah. hope they realize that because you don't. <laughs> I don't think they do. <laughs> You're edging on the wilderness right now, and and you better wake up because I I just I've already said it, like Strickland just doesn't he seems like a little bit of a floppy ad he just isn't he's not one of those killer instinct guys and I'm not sure that he's gonna go out and make a a big splash hire make a really savvy hire or anything well, like that and, I think the problem is is that you're not that those splash hires aren't aren't always possible and what what's going on at Florida. The problem that they're fixing this to have is is really a microcosm of the entire landscape of college football because we keep seeing these coaches get fired. And sometimes it's legitimate. They have to be fired. Jeremy Pruitt had to be fired. There there was no choice. I mean, he was driving the program state, straight into the ground. He had lost all control. But there are situations like the first time this happened, I think, was when Nebraska fired Bo Pelini, and they've been – wandering through the wilderness ever since when he was winning nine games a year. So you fire these guys after one subpar year, who are you going to hire? There are no sure things out there at all. That's always once the I saw, once I saw Chip Kelly kind of fail at UCLA and Scott Frost not do well at Nebraska and some of the, pretty much a lot of the people that were hired in 2017, Dan Mullen at Florida, who I, I thought that would be the guy for, for them. There are no sure things. You're gambling every time. And I don't know what these ADs think is going to happen. I mean, 
Are they just living off fans being excited for a year or two and just going through the cycle or just hoping to hit on somebody? It's I, I don't know. Like if really Florida could have kept Dan Mullen, he would have eventually righted the ship and got them back to I don't know if he would have come to a national championship, but they probably would have won the SEC East again under him. Probably. I don't see why not. Yeah. I mean, uh, like it's it's a razor's edge that you're walking. And I obviously I'm I'm a quick quick to fire people kind of guy. I, you know, once I see the writing on the wall and I go, okay, it's, if it's really bad right now and you have a, you know, you kind of see somebody ceiling, like we're saying with Mullen, it's like, he probably is never going to win an national title at Florida. I, I don't even see how that's possible, especially the way that he, that he recruited. He was just never going to recruit guys good enough, but was he going to recruit good enough to catch, uh, catch Georgia on a down year and maybe win the SEC East again? Sure. But, like, if that's the ceiling, you kind of go, surely we can find somebody better. But can you? Yeah, that's can my thing. Can you find like, somebody better? You need to have your guy before or, or have a pretty good idea. And even then, Texas was in that situation. They had Sarkeesian before they fired Tom Herman. And that is another situation just like this where you mm-hmm. fired a guy that was had winning years. I mean, take look. Take a gamble. You just, to me, like Texas is, should be an even more shining example to Florida right now over Tennessee. I mean, Texas, what, when was Vince Young? Oh, five. Oh, five. Yeah. Won a national title. They're rolling a a borderline dynasty with, with Vince Young, Colt McCoy. I mean, they were really doing it. You know, obviously they, they won one and probably should have won another if Colt McCoy doesn't get injured in the national championship game. Like they, they were right there. And not only does it fall apart, but I mean, you lose into Kansas and you're wanting to fire a coach after one year and it's an absolute, I I mean, you have reports like this and this is not to make any kind of political statement. This is literally just a report that I saw. And this is, and I think this speaks to how bad things are at Texas right now. Some report that like a donor was influencing, uh, uh, influencing who, uh, Sarkeesian puts out on the field based on like race or something. And I, I was like, who knows if that's true? Probably not. Well, but, well I've always fact, heard that being the coach at Texas is kind of like being the second governor where you've got to please all these people. Exactly. Um, people pulling at you from a million different ways. And the fact that whether that's true or not, the fact that a report like that is coming out at all is horrifying for the shape of the program. Like that just speaks exactly because that's what always you heard tons of stuff like that about Tennessee. Just when things are going bad, that's when the that's when things start trickling out. Oh, Butch punched a kid in the stomach. Oh, but you know whatever it was, like these things just start coming out when things start going south. And it's year one at Texas, and that's happening. And so, like you, that should be like a a lighthouse to Florida to be like, oh no, like we got to take this as a signal that this has to be the right hire. And I don't know, you know, I can, I can say that all I want. There's nothing, there's nothing out there that just says, Oh, that's going to be the right hire. You can pay Jim Harbaugh $10 million a year. And he still has never beaten Ohio state. Like nothing is a sure thing. Yeah. Nothing is. A sure and I thing. thought that was a sure thing hire too. And he's done well, He's done well, you know, better just, than any other Michigan coach. And since you know, Brady Hoke and, and well, uh, he, it, it reminds me, it reminds me of Tennessee before they broke through in, in 98, you're just banging your head against Florida where it was like, you're beating everybody, but the team, yeah. it's the one team that you can't get over. Um, 
And so, you know, that sucks that that's the situation that Harbaugh's in. Cause I think if he, if he's coaching in like the big 12 right now, he's running that place, I think. And that that's what happened at Stanford. Like the PAC 12 just kind of sucked. And so he made Stanford really pretty good and they, you know, he, he made it happen, but, you, just, you know, th- there's really only one true recipe for success, and it's to somehow build a sustained program that's winning nine or ten games a year, and then you find your guy. I mean, you look at mm-hmm. outside of Alabama, you look at Ohio State. You know, they they got built under Jim Tressel and eventually Urban Meyer, and then Ryan Day takes that over, and he's lost three games in three years. Uh, Lincoln Riley taking over for Bob Stoops, Kirby Smart taking over for Mark Rick. You find a dynamic recruiter to build on to what those guys have built. Rarely have, outside of Nick Saban, we haven't seen some guy just come in and turn a program around and make them a contender, legitimate contender year in, year out. It just doesn't seem to happen. Saban is a true outlier because Alabama legitimately stunk. Like they were really not good at all. Um, and I'm not sure Nick Saban could take over that same situation in 2021 and do the same things that he's yeah. done because it was such a different era. Well, you Recruiting just, wasn't as nationwide. I mean, it was nationwide, but the, the social media stuff, it wasn't it's was a little more condensed and it was easier to build a juggernaut then and keep it rolling than it would be now. Absolutely. It's like, and you know, you can nowadays you can be Kirby smart and sort of get born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Like he did. And he just sort of took a team that was already pretty decent and just lifted it up a little bit. He just recruited well, yeah, better I mean, than just, Mark just Rick. Added, added to a nice foundation that Mark Rick had built. And But otherwise, like right now, you have to... That's that's why I think Hypel is so impressive is because I think what you have to do right now is think outside the box. You have to be different. And that's... We talked about this, I think, during that post-game show, right? Mm-hmm. Where we kind of said, is this going to start to become a trend because you're actually seeing like, okay, Pittman brings in Kendall Bryles. He's having success. You have Heupel at Tennessee having success that people did not think that he was going to have. And they're, they're running, you want, you know, if you want to call it gimmicky, but they're just running this advanced offense, like whatever you want to categorize it as. And, and they're having to do things that are different because you are faced against things like a recruiting machine at Georgia that you can't, there's nothing you can do about that. What are you supposed to do? Fast forward five years into the future and a bunch of great recruiting classes and suddenly have a ton of amazing players on, on your team. That's not how that works. Like it's not a one year. Oh, we have a ton of amazing players now. No, I mean, it takes a while to build that up. And I mean that I I do wonder if that's what we're going to start to see. And I, I think Florida would probably be well advised to bring in somebody like that, at least somebody that's thinking in an innovative way. And I don't know, even know who that would be right now. Well, that's what they did when, you know, kind of when they had urban Meyer, when he was running those offenses at Utah, you know, it would be crazy. And, and I, like I said, I have my prediction on who they'll hire. I'll get to that in a minute, but what if they brought in like Dave Clawson from Wake Forest? I mean, he runs a kind of weird system. It's very intricate and kind of takes a couple of years, but Wake Forest stumbled through a couple of three or four win seasons, and now, you know, they're winning eight, nine, ten games a year. I don't think it would be a great hire, but I, I could see Florida having to make a hire along those lines if they start missing on their top targets. And we, and we don't even know who their top targets will be yet. I don't think... Bob Stoops is going to go coach at Florida. 
And even if Bob Stoops does go to Florida, I'm not convinced that he's going to instantly turn it around like he had it at Oklahoma. At, again, after watching Chip Kelly do it at Florida and then fail at UCLA, I don't think that always translates. The situations are different. The game has changed a lot. The way you, you know, the way you approach recruiting, the way that you have to coach against the defenses and and the offenses that are, you know, Josh Heupel, for example, wasn't, you know, he worked for Bob Stoops. He he wasn't allowing Josh Heupel to run the type of offense that he runs now. Stoops isn't really on board with that type of, of play calling. It's a it's going to be a tough situation for them no matter what. And there are really no home run hires. Like I said, Lane Kiffin is like about the only guy that kind of scares me uh, there. Outside of that, I, I think it's going to be something that benefits Tennessee. I would agree with Kiffin because he is he would be the exact blend of head coaching experience and an innovative mind. Like that's He's going to be you know, the dude that he is and probably play games with your program and, you know, be that sort of PR figure. You're not really sure what he's going to say, what he's going to do. And he's <laughs> however. Yeah. You and does Florida it. want that? Does Strickland want that? Uh, yeah. And see, and I don't feel like Strickland is that, yeah. that guy, just judging from who he was at Mississippi state. Like, and, and now like he that was, stuff would play at LSU. I don't think it does at Florida. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And, and I mean, and just Florida is weird in general because I think they, you've seen some things like, like they had an amazing or, uh, you know, a, a sort of top ranked, really good baseball team in the last few years, but they have big attendance problems because like a lot of Florida fans don't actually live in Gainesville. Most, yeah. most people in Florida live on the coasts and Gainesville right. is in the middle of the state. And so like a lot of people come to games in Gainesville and then go home and and so like they have some of these attendance problems at things and like you it's a it's a tedious i don't know tedious is not the right word it's like this is i get like i said it's gonna be sort of you're on a razor's edge sort of a higher where these things like i i would say to put it in a basketball sense like look at kentucky i I saw with Kentucky basketball, Cal Perry, it felt like we were never going to be able to beat that guy again. Like he just had that thing on lock and just whatever it was, he, this thing was rolling and you just, we could never beat them. And suddenly Rick Barnes was he eight and six against Cal Perry during his time at Tennessee. I mean, and now, you know, Cal Perry's having these seasons where his team just totally falls apart. Nothing great lasts. And Florida's got a, you, you're looking at that in the face. I, and I think, you know, LSU even saw it this year. LSU is, that's, a, it's an odd job, but in itself for a whole bunch of different reasons other than Florida. But, uh, I just, I, I will say they got to be careful and they should know for me, I hope that they make the wrong hire. <laughs> I hope they screw this up because I think there's a hundred different ways you could screw up this hire. Yeah. I think, the hire, I think they're going to hire. I think it'll be a good hire. I don't think it'll be a great hire. I think that they're going to end up with Mark Stoops. That's my prediction. Hmm. He's got experience in Florida. He's coached at South Florida, Florida State, and I think Miami at some point. Um, so he's got experience in the area. He's a he's a he's a name. He's Bob Stoops' brother. He's done pretty well at Kentucky. I think I, he's obviously 
turn Kentucky around, but it's not like they're blowing people away. I mean, they've still their best team still have lost to Tennessee. I think he could bring sustainability to their program. I don't think he's going to win like a national championship there, which is look. There's only a couple of teams every year compete for a national championship. Only three teams have won national championships over the past five years. You know, so that's not a big knock necessarily. I could, see, I just, I feel like that's the way it's going to trend. I think Stoops knows he's hit his ceiling in Kentucky. Okay, the Florida job is, is the best job he could probably get. I, I don't think LSU is going to go that direction. Uh, the Florida job's better than the Miami job if it comes open. It, it's better than Virginia Tech. I don't think he wants to leave the SEC. So, and, and I think most Florida fans would be okay with that hire. It's not exciting because he's, he's a defensive guy, but he's he's done well at Kentucky. It's kind of like when Penn State hired James Franklin. There, there's really a feeling around Stoops that's like, if he could just get better players, he could be. A real, you know, a real dude. I think even for me, I think I've, I've thought that. But when you really break it down and you look at the way that college football is moving, unless he totally changes his offense, which is possible, bring in one of these up and coming, you know, thinking outside the box type offensive coordinators, and and he could do that. But you're not gonna, no matter what players you get, you're not winning anything with the triple option. <laughs> like air force offense that he sort of runs. I mean, it's a little, a little better than that, yeah. but like still, if a wide receiver can run your offense, it's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe he could do that. And and I'm, my perception of that is, is wrong, but just realistically speaking, he's going to have to change some things about the way that he's done things at Kentucky. And he definitely could. Florida's a totally different job. And I think he would be smart to do those things. And he's a smart guy. I think, um, but just on the whole, to me, that's kind of a hire that has recency bias because they lost to Kentucky this year and would ultimately not really work out because it just, he is not the direction that college football is going. Lane Kiffin is the direction that college football mm-hmm. is going. You know, Pittman is the way that college football is going, not the way. I mean, just just look. All you have to do is look at the fact that the like the giant outlier that is the best team in America right now is the one that's great on on defense, but they're like the only team that does mm-hmm. that. I mean, all of college football is on the whole other end of the spectrum. It's all moved that way. Even Saban, even he went that way. And and maybe I'm predicting the future wrong. Maybe the Maybe with this year with Kirby, people go, oh, maybe I need to pay attention to defense again. <laughs> it's hard uh, to predict. There's only friend. so many big and fast dudes, and Georgia just has them all. Exactly. They, they hoarded the everybody. Yeah. They hoarded every great. I mean, that Jordan Davis dude, it looks in, like not human. They're, that dude's not Unreal. real. They're, they're, they're on a total other level that you're not. And I'm sure other college football coaches, like, there's no way that Josh Heupel is sitting and thinking, oh, if I got a bunch of great defensive players, maybe I could put a great defense again. No, he's not thinking that at all. He's All he's thinking about is how good can I get my offense so that I yeah. can beat Georgia's defense. Bend, but don't break defense. That's that's what yeah. it's all about. The, you, Not many coaches are going to be thinking with that mentality. And so my prediction is that the way of college football is kind of going away from the style of Mark Stoops, and that probably wouldn't be a great hire but I think it would be perceived as a good hire. Who, I, I would who, say that. Who do, who uh, who do you think they hire? Like as of 
as of now, before their search, I mean, their search is really just getting started. We haven't really heard much about it at all yet. So I could see Fickle. He definitely needs to jump ship. Cincinnati ain't going anywhere. They're if yeah. they get into the playoff, they're going to get steamrolled. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I'm sure he knows that. Like, hey, I made it to the playoff, but also <laughs> like we're not ever going to win a national championship in Cincinnati. So he needs to get out of there at the height of his especially with this coaching carousel with all these major programs probably popping open. Like you got to jump on it this time. So he's I'm surprised he's not more in the LSU conversation. Agreed. I I am actually genuinely surprised by that. So I could see fickle and that I don't know how I feel about that one either, because I think he's another one that I sort of go like, that's not really the way the football is going. Uh, You know? And so maybe him, maybe some, coordinator that we like don't even know their name yet somebody like that otherwise there's got to be somebody like off the map that we're not thinking about do you think james franklin would still be move the needle at all to go to florida uh it's an even that one i sort of feel like it would be like a splash to be like whoa you got the guy from penn state what about about bill o'brien i think people would hate that he's He's a of such a strange personality too. Uh, so, I, and he's I, at Alabama. You can't yeah. judge an offensive coordinator at Alabama. No, obviously, never. look at Sarkeesian no. or McElwain was. You know, yeah. And surely people realize this at this point. If if you're hiring coaches, don't hire coaches to come from Alabama. Sark sucks. Pruitt sucks. Like all of these, and and I guess you can say Kirby is the outlier. But again, Kirby was hired with a silver spoon in his mouth with a great mm-hmm. team that was already there. Like, and, and, and Kirby kind of Kirby kind of helped save and build that from the start too. Really, you know, so he was he was a yeah. part of that success, getting it going. He was a long term Sabanite. Yeah, where these these guys that have just been plugged into the amazing team that Saban yeah. brought in, they've all stunk it up. Like, there is none of them that have been particularly successful. And it wasn't, I mean, McElwain was a saving guy. I believe yeah. you already Muschamp, did that. Muschamp was a saving guy from yeah, LSU, my, oh my but still, All they're, they're duly. Yeah. At, at what point do you, do people go like, oh, maybe we shouldn't hire out of. And you team. know, Billy Napier is kind of considered a saving guy. He was there for a while. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I do think I've even said it in the past. I thought Napier, cause he got brought up for the Tennessee job. I always, I thought he was holding out for that LSU job. Um, because he, yeah. that's the, the state that he's in. I think he probably knows that landscape decently well at this point, just being in Louisiana for that long now. Um, and so I, I could see that. But what about Matt? Matt Rule, if he if he jumps ship from the the Panthers and wants to get back to the NFL, I think he would stay more in like Big Ten country. But Florida, I mean, Florida's that would be a good hire. Look, I, Urban Matt, Meyer wasn't a Southeast guy. I think know. Matt Rule is is a very good college football coach. I, mm-hmm. I personally do, and he is he's a high-flying offense guy, like mm-hmm. a real, you know, obviously coming from Baylor and and everything that he did there. If he tries to implement that, I think he is one of those dudes that would be a little more forward-thinking, have a little more vision, and I, I think he that'd be a good hire, and I think yeah. he'd be in the wheelhouse since things aren't going so hot in Carolina. I, you know, there's a ton of different ways they could go, and ultimately I feel like it's just going to be some – some somebody like we haven't <laughs> we haven't even heard of it's gonna be a Josh Heupel you know uh but the, I we never even circle back around it was funny today like I tweeted out like this is gonna be the craziest coaching carousel ever 
and somehow Tennessee isn't even involved. You know, expecting maybe some <sighs> some replies like, that's true. That's crazy. But everybody, we're so damaged. Tennessee fan, <laughs> yeah. what, a, what a damaged set of people. All of the replies are just like, well, Heupel's gone. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Charlie. You, you jinxed us. Heupel's out of here. He's definitely, he's going to take the Oklahoma job when Lincoln Riley, first of all, is Oklahoma even hiring Josh Heupel? I mean, maybe, but like, come on, guys. I'll be honest. When I saw the tweet, that was my first thought was in my head. I went, well, not yet, <laughs> but it is Tennessee. <laughs> oh, so many, so many replies are just like, where did they're not in the coaching carousel yet with a, you know, an asterisk by it. But I mean, coaching searches for Tennessee used to be like this big, just like, oh, my, I can't believe this is happening. This is such a, a monumental moment in the program. And now it's just like, oh, OK, another one. Let's. Let's, let's get, you know, let's fire up the plane tracker and do what we do. Dude, would that be the dream job for Hypo even? Because Oklahoma, yeah. I mean, you you would be taking over a really good situation. You would. I, I really speaking. don't know how he feels about Oklahoma. They had a messy breakup. Bob Stoops fired him when it wasn't necessarily his fault. Uh, he wasn't allowed to run the offense that he wanted to run. The defense was. Pretty bad in 2014 for Oklahoma. That was the real faults of that team. He was the co-offensive coordinator, too, with, I think, Jay Norville. Uh, it was a weird situation, and Bob Stoops was the guy that he played for. You know, they they were obviously close over the years. Reportedly, they haven't spoke since then. Stoops is still really involved in Oklahoma. You hear that he's at practice all the time. He, he's very close to the program. I don't know. I, I don't know if Hyper wanted to get away and, and kind of or wants to stay away and create yeah. his own legacy at, at Tennessee. He seems to really enjoy being at Tennessee. I believe him when he says that he took the job at Tennessee uh, because of the fan base and the electricity and just what it can be, the passion. I mean, that 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 does mean a lot. I mean, that's why that's why the Tennessee fan base is so big. Uh, it, why it's so passionate is because these great traditions you have, when that place is sold out, there's nowhere better. You get that old Miss atmosphere. There is no place in college football more electric than Neyland Stadium. And I'm sure I'm a bit biased in that, but you see these other games. It, it's just the passion that you get there. I think he really loves being here. It just seems so genuine from him. And I could be wrong. He could fly to Oklahoma tomorrow if they offered him the job. I really don't know. I mean, there's no way to know until that situation happens, but I don't think anybody should lose sleep worrying about it because it's just – No. It's not a situation right now, so until it is, I'm going to be concerned about it. I mean, you know, if it did come open, I will admit. Oh, yeah. If it's, that's if it's open, it's an issue. It's a very attractive job. Yeah. Make no bones about that. It is – and honestly – I want to say that it would be kind of a lateral move, but in reality, they're in a much better position than Tennessee is mm -hmm. in right now. It's not as much of an uphill climb. They are about to be in the SEC. Like you're, you would be taking over one of the blue bloods of college football that just, and Tennessee has historically been a blue blood, but you're just things you're going through a real rough time. And that that's the situation that you're in. I would be scared if that does come open, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it until, it actually becomes a thing. And there's no indication that it is. If you're hypo, I mean, I guess maybe if you're successful at Tennessee, you you feel like you could be successful at Oklahoma. You, you've got to have confidence to be a head coach. But I think you also have to be a realist. 
Scott Frost is going to be fired from Nebraska. And it's going to be a very awkward situation between himself and his alma mater. That happens a lot. I mean, we see it all the time. Rarely do, does the the famous alumni go back and it work out. They all get fired at some point. I mean, Philip Fomer, he had the great run at least, you know, 15-year run. Uh, he still got fired at the end. Actually, he got fired twice now. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that even that's atypical. Like typically it it is a couple of years and you're fired and it's this weird situation. And do you want to do that? Do you want that? Is it worth it? I don't know. I I have no idea cuz it just is a real mystery in terms of what Hypel thinks of that whole situation. He's rarely spoke about it. Yeah, it's been very close to the vest about it. And so it's really hard to even say. Because I think people are projecting onto him that it would be a mm-hmm. dream job, dream opportunity. Yeah. And that Oklahoma would, would even pursue him. I think I think we're projecting both ways. That he has these ill ill will feelings towards the university as a whole. and you know, Or that he views as a dream job. Either way, we really don't yeah. know at don't all. Don't know. And and so just don't don't worry over milk that hadn't been spilled yet is how I would put it. But uh, outside of that, I think we've we've pretty much blown out that coaching carousel conversation. We're gonna have plenty of time to talk about it. Look, it was an off week, and you're playing Vanderbilt this coming. It's basically like having two snoozers in a row. So forgive mm-hmm. us. Uh, but that was fun. I love. I think a ton of people are going to be interested in that conversation about the Florida job. Uh, because, I love coaching carousel season. Oh yeah. It's so fun. Tons of fun to see, especially if Tennessee doesn't get involved in it. Yes. Oh, baby. I, I'm so well, I get more sleep it. this way. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it is it is the worst when you're a reporter covering Tennessee. Uh, and, and you I think even even on. if you're a fan, uh, you know, when uh, I guess it was the, the Dooley hire, you know, I, I was simply a fan at that point. And I still remember looking at message boards and searching the rumors and just being completely obsessed with what was happening in that hire. Uh, So I think it's just, if you're involved, if you're close to Tennessee in any capacity, a coaching search will wear on you. Like when it's over, you're just exhausted no matter what. It it was the most brutal thing that I ever did as like a Tennessee reporter. Well, the 2017 one, especially because it it lasted so long because it really, it really didn't start whenever, uh, Butch was fired. You know, it really started around the beginning of October when it was clear that Butch was done and the the John Gruden rumors started, you know, crazy in, in October. He's at the South Carolina game in October of that year. You know, it, it that lasted really two months. And what even, I mean, think back because we were doing this at the time, like with the, the end of Pruitt, like how much grief did we take for weeks oh i know because we got on here and it and it's so funny because everybody everybody acts like oh i did i hated pruitt i did i was out on on pruitt no you weren't because you were in our mentions on Mm -hmm. this podcast telling us about how we're stupid for thinking pruitt's gonna get fired i got the receipts (laughs) i was there i mean come on and that that was that one was brutal in a totally different way because it yes it was they it was such a weird timeline. It was a very, yeah, it, it drug out forever to the point where it's like, I guess they're going to keep him. Because yeah, this it, has it lasted did. for so long. Because we, there were just so much reporting that it was going bad and going bad and going bad. And we were like, well, when is, when is the shoe going to drop? When it was almost a month, right? Yeah. It like from the forever. time that Trey Wallace's report dropped until the time they actually fired him. And I, w- I was like, 
sitting and and ciphering like Tony Basilio's show every day, just being like, "Well, Tony said that it was that this, and what do you think that that means?" That that you know, we were like like freaking conspiracy theorists trying to break it all down. But hopefully, let's not speak it into existence. Hopefully, we don't have to worry about that this year. Let's end quickly. Let's do quickly score prediction for Vandy, and then we'll talk about basketball just to end things out. It's probably going to end up being our longest episode ever. We went forever on the coaching search. But uh, yeah, with Vandy, Vandy. Uh, what, they're two and nine. They've lost, what, six games in a row. But they've actually been playing. Yeah, they played Ole Miss playing decently a close. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's it's at Neyland. I think Tennessee fan. I think Tennessee will be pretty hyped for the game. They they're really going to want to beat Vanderbilt and and get seven wins. Obviously, Tennessee's going to win. I would go 49-14. I think it'll be quite a blowout. I've made a lot of jokes about how South Alabama was probably better than Vandy. Ultimately, I do think Vandy is a little better than South Alabama, but. Not by much. Um, I will go a little lower output for Tennessee this time. I'll say 48 to your 49. We'll see if either of us hit it on the head. 48 for Tennessee to to 21 for Vandy. I'll, I'll be generous. Tennessee's defense is rough right now. Yeah. They're, they're hemorrhaging some points. So I'll say 48-21. And I, I think it... It'll be generally relaxing. Maybe you get out to like a 28-0 lead and then and then second. Well, they will get out to a big lead. That's what Tennessee does. I mean, yeah, they'll, I mean, they'll store 21 in the first order. I, I would probably assume before your defense gets tired. I mean, that's high pulse all strategies. Score mm-hmm. as many points before my defense gets run ragged. <laughs> you know? So there you go. 48-21 for me. Now let's talk real briefly about basketball. We saw Tennessee's first two real games. Played Villanova and got just didn't even they might as well have not been out there on the court it was ugly 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 bricked every shot turning the ball over sloppy just bad basketball all the way around um and then went and beat the snot out of north carolina in the very next game beat north carolina by 17 but i think Mm -hmm. at some points you had a 20 plus point lead um and so Two very different games, but I think that's indicative of sort of Tennessee is a team that has a true freshman point guard and some of its best players are freshmen and they're just learning how to be cohesive and trying to get it together. Um, So hopefully nobody's panicking. Uh, I I would have been concerned if both of those games were stinkers. I would have been legitimately concerned. But I, I think you can say now like there's there is good Tennessee and it's really good. You beat North Carolina by 17. And then you have the the young, not super cohesive Tennessee that, that can get stomped by Villanova. So we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Hopefully you get mostly the good stuff. Yeah, I wasn't too worried. Well, now I'm definitely not too worried about the Villanova game. But even when it happened, I mean, I think I said it before. These November games... You can't put a lot of stock in into these games, really, because you've seen a lot of good teams lose in November and end up winning it all in March and April. And Fulkerson didn't play well Saturday. Josiah Jordan-James wasn't really 100% at all, got hurt Saturday. I, I think it's almost easier when you can, you know a guy's out and you, you're not trying to play with a guy that's less than 100% on the floor. And then Barnes' approach against Carolina – 
you know, having three guards on the floor <laughs> at points in the game, that kind of smaller lineup and, and Ziegler, the way that well, he I came mean, out and played. Yeah, I mean, I think that's – he's kind of found something that worked there, this up-tempo deal with the smaller lineup. Fulkerson played much better Sunday, so that helps too. But I think we'll see, you know, a lot more of that this year. Uh, I love uh, – yeah, Chandler, Ziegler, and Vestrovi or – Vestrovi. What are we what are we going with here? <laughs> don't don't turn into to Fran Fraschilla. It's I mean it's Vestrovi, right? I, I it has to Vestrovi, be the He has said Vestrovi himself. Yeah, because there there is a video. I wonder if I can find it relatively quickly. I don't know if I can. We might not Vestrovi is kind of fun to say. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's not gotta correct. be Vestrovi. Vescovi, yeah, because he, I've seen, there are videos of him saying his name, and he puts emphasis yes. on the CO in the middle there. So hey, That guy's career's show. over, by the way. You called Tennessee fans idiots on a Don't national broadcast, and it has been blowing up all day. So, Yeah, that that's the quickest way to get notoriety on Twitter is to piss off Tennessee fans, that's for sure. Yeah, I saw somebody say Tennessee fans have the memory of an elephant because people were bringing up Chris Fowler's comments from like 1998. <laughs> Dude, the was it the the trailer park? Yes, uh, yes, trailer the, park the, frenzy. Yes. Oh man, yeah. Don't I remember? We don't forget. <laughs> we don't forget Chris Fowler. Uh, no. So here, here it is, right here. This is this is uh, Santi saying his own name right here. Uh, let's see if I can play it. Uh, Hey, what's up, Wall Nation? This is Santi Vescovi. Vescovi. Yeah. Vescovi. Vescovi, not Vescovi. Yeah, come on, idiot. But anyway, the three of them on the floor at the same time, I mean, that is, that's that's it, I think, for Tennessee. That That's where they're playing their best. So I said, after that Villanova game, there was no offensive identity, uh, identity at all. And in that North Carolina game, you saw it. That they discovered, uh-oh. We got something good. We're cooking, especially mm-hmm. with, with Ziegler in the game and him playing really good basketball. And I would say he's a freshman. Don't expect him to look like that in every single game. Um, I, I think that that might be a bit of a tenuous situation with, with Ziegler, and that's okay because he is a freshman. Yeah, It'll come in time. I think you are looking at a guy who will be great for a while here at Tennessee, which is awesome. So the, If you can find a guy like that that's not the five-star guy that's going to go pro after one year like Kennedy Chandler. Little Jim. Somebody that has a lot of upside that's going to stay around and be a veteran presence for your team when you get more of those five-star guys. I mean, that's how you build a championship team. Yeah, that, that's been Barnes and Moe his whole time in Tennessee. He's finding those, those sort of diamonds in the rough and, and elevating them. And I think that's just another guy that he's going to do that with, and that's awesome. Uh, so that's that's great. But I just think with this team... Villanova, that that game where you're just kind of running this like plotting, kind of forcing the ball inside, trying to play inside out, and well, I was just like, was That's so not... timid looking too. Yeah, and, and and I some people were saying like during that game, like we don't have a true big man, we don't have a true big. You don't need one. You don't need one in college basketball right now. You just no. you don't at all. Villanova has won multiple national championships without true big man. You yeah, it's not 1995. You don't have to have a seven footer. No. I don't need a Kimelajwan out there. Fulkerson is is fine, and and so you have like good senior leadership with Fulkerson, even if he he does you know he doesn't always bring like he could be a total monster, and then he has these weird off games. But whatever, 
against North Carolina, you saw exactly what this team can be. It's all there. They're still, in my opinion, a Final Four caliber team. I had I, as I said, if they had put out two stinkers in a row and I hadn't seen anything to show that they were going to be competitive, I would be concerned. But it is clear that when this team cooks, they are. I mean, first of all, it's super deep. Like, just how many guys were able to rotate in and had pretty decent games? Huntley Hatfield, who I thought was, he he looked pretty rough in the first three games of the season where I was just like, I don't know if this guy, if he's going to be in the rotation much if he keeps playing like this. And he really stepped it up in that UNC game. He was a really nice contributor, played good basketball. I'm like, that's awesome. I love seeing stuff like that. Some, you know, there are definitely guys like, <sighs> Uros, man, he... I just, I'm not sure he has it between the ears. I just, I don't know. He's, he just gets lost out there so mm-hmm. frequently. I, he has gotten better. He has definitely gotten better, but he just gets lost really frequently, especially on defense. He loses man a lot and it's tough to watch. And Tennessee kind of hangs its hat on defense, <laughs> but either way, um, it's there for this team. They're, they're running deep. They got a ton of talent and you just, you just got to go get better. I think by March, Especially, dude, with Kennedy Chandler and Holly Hatfield and these guys, dude, it could be good. It could be really good. Um, I, I'm really excited to see how they stack up against Memphis because Memphis sort of feels like a similar team to Tennessee. Uh, probably with a little, they have less senior leadership, Memphis. Um, and so that that game's coming up, what, in a couple weeks? That's going to be an intriguing one. I mean, really, you know, UNC runs tempo too. So the fact that, that, that Tennessee was able to blow them out like that definitely bodes well for, for playing teams that play like that, which is, you know, a lot of, a lot of your aggressive teams that, that you're going to see in March and, uh, it's popular forward. style of basketball. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I'd rather watch that than, uh, some of these teams like, uh, Virginia. Yes. Virginia. Oh, perfect. Man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Final score, 50 to 48 or something. There was a certain beauty. So I lived for a time. My first job out of college was in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I went and watched. It was just when Tony Bennett It would have been 2014. It was just when they were like getting good. And they and I went to a couple of games at at JPJ, John Paul Jones, (laughs) and watched them play. And it it in in some way like it's fun to watch your team and like they're just imposing like they just it, it's sort of like watching the titans like the titans now well when the, when they're good now oh. we're losing to the freaking texans dude when when we have Derrick Henry we actually play decent football but it you know like it's it's ugly but when you win it's i mean it's pretty fun it's, like yeah it's gratifying to- <laughs> exactly it's like we we ground it out and we earn this so, and I mean, Bruce in the pudding there, they won a national championship at Virginia. So, hey, Tony Bennett. He's they also were the only team to lose in the first round. That's They're true. Only one seed. Only one seed. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Uh, well, either way, I think that is all. It's all any, or nothing. Yeah. Any parting thoughts, Zach, on anything we talked about? This is, I think it's definitely our longest episode ever. Almost an hour yeah. and 20. Well, I mean, it should be a pretty breezy weekend. I think Tennessee plays, what, Tennessee Tech in basketball Friday afternoon and then... Vanderbilt, it should be a, a fun Tennessee weekend. Let's let's hope it stays true to that. I hope so. Don't. I'm not, not. <laughs> not even going to mention it. I'm not going to mention no. it. All right. That's a great show. Yep. Good stuff. That's Zach Reagan. I am Charlie Burris. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to everybody who's uh, that watched the post game show with us. Crompton will be back this week uh, for the Vandy game to wrap up the regular season. Um, that is, of course, halftime and post game of every Tennessee football game. Me and Jonathan Crompton, and when Crompton is out, Zach fills in. Uh, so watch us there on all A to Z Sports's social medias. Um, at Charlie underscore Rose, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports.com for all the stuff that we write. And go rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. And that, I believe, is it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See you guys later. You say your time, I'm